Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. If you head over to onyxmaps.com and click on their drop down tab and check out their new Hunt Central. So what Hunt Central is, it's a free, um, basically a tool to be able to go through and help plan out your hunts. You can go through state by state, species by species, and be able to look at the population data, public land percentages, tag allotments, season dates, so many different things that you can find on there and really help the starting process to plan out your hunt. And then once you find an area you want to go to, you can use the Onyx Hunt app to actually go through and do the scouting. So definitely go over to onyxmaps.com, check that out. And if you decide you want to you know, upgrade to the, the Hunt app and have that on your phone and your desktop, you can use the code EMW to save 20%. The podcast is also brought to you by Maven Optics. So Maven has basically come out with the highest quality optics available at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. Their high-end ED glass is known for its edge clarity, clarity all throughout the glass, low light, and just about everything else you could ask for a set of optics. Once you pick them up, you'll know that uh, they're a high-quality optic. And you're able to do that with saving a little bit of ching through their direct-to-consumer business model. So head over to mavenbuilt.com, build yourself a custom set of B2s or you can opt for their C-series, their mid-series line, and have them shipped right to your door. You can get uh, a free gift with any full-price optics order off the website by using the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT. And also, the University of Elk Hunting. So, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available right now and so you can go through 15 different sections or lessons you know everything from the planning phases through gear through tactics calling even have a new late season rifle module on there and everything that you need to know about elk hunting is in that course and in addition to the course, Corey and the team are launching their second Destination Elk series on YouTube. They're out filming that currently. I believe they're in Idaho. And this series is really good because it's not only, you know, entertaining, it also is very educational. And each day of the hunt, they break it down and put out a, a video. So definitely check that out on YouTube come this November. If you want to check out the University of Elk Hunting, you can save 20% off an annual membership by using the code East Meets West. All right, so at the time of this, uh, I'm, I'm recording this intro here a little bit ahead of time because I should be in Idaho right now, and I uh, hopefully am getting into some elk, so I'll be there for the next two weeks here. I don't know if this next this following week... I'll get an episode done in time or not. I'm trying my best to do that, but um, 
right now it looks like this will be the only episode out while I'm gone. So it's a it's a good one. It's packed full of information. So Greg McHale from Wild Yukon television show on Sportsman. He is a very knowledgeable guy and we break down the C, the seven key components to being a successful or becoming a successful mountain hunter and really in life in general. So I really think this episode is is a, a good one packed full of information. The other thing I wanted to know is that if you were to order anything online in the next couple of weeks here, I won't be able to ship that until I come back. Uh, I'm a one-man shop here, so just bear with me. Don't be afraid to, to put in that order uh, for any of the East Meets West apparel online. But I will ship that out as soon as I get back and make sure everyone has that. So just wanted to give an update there. Like I said, hopefully at this point I am getting into elk, maybe even packing out an elk by the time you're listening to this. So I hope uh, everyone's having a good September, getting outside, doing something to better themselves there. And uh, good luck this hunting season. All right, we're live back for another episode here of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast, and I got Greg McHale on the line. What's going on? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, Just uh, hanging out here in the in the Yukon and enjoying some great weather, and yeah, just lucky, uh, feeling fortunate to be able to chat with you. Yeah, where uh, where are you in the Yukon? Right now, I'm in. I live just outside of Carcross. Um, I also have a, a place in, in Carcross and in Whitehorse. So I kind of move back between the two places. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. It's, um, I figured you'd be in the Yukon from, uh, your show and everything else you're, you're all about. You love the Yukon. <laughs> this is home. Yeah, that's, <laughs> for sh- that's for sure. Yeah, I know it's, it's a fabulous place to live. Uh, you know, certainly if you're, if you're in hunting or into outdoors at all, it's it's a great place to live. And it also throws some challenges at you as well. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah you're up there a ways, that's for sure. A little bit further north than I am here in the States. <laughs> yeah. Where exactly are you? I'm in Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, we're living in two different worlds for yeah. sure. But uh, that Pennsylvania country is uh, this is a thick bush, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's um, it's very thick, and um, there a lot of people don't realize it, but we have the the whole Appalachian Mountains that run up through here, and it's you get some pretty um, rugged country. You know, nothing compared to the Rocky Mountains or where you're at, but you get some you get some pretty uh, good terrain changes and some challenges with hunting in this you know very thick uh country as far as glassing goes that's not really anything you can do here that's for sure yeah no i know that uh, i know that part of the world i used to uh i've raced there a few times and the navigation is always uh, a little bit tricky in the thick bush and the you know the rolling train not necessarily mountainous but and that's what makes it more difficult navigationally and the thickness of the bush so I do know exactly what uh, you're talking about. I know the Appalachians, uh, not certainly not intimately, but I've rolled through them for many days on end with a map and compass in my hand. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's pretty cool then. So you you have an idea what 
where I'm at here. I'm right in the, right in the middle, kind of the middle of nowhere here, but uh, I love it. It's a, it's a great area to, to hunt and fish and everything else, but yeah, fantastic. So that's cool. But Greg, do you kind of want to get into, before we get too far into this, give a little bit of a background on yourself and, and you know, why I'm here talking to you? Um, well, background, I guess what has led me to sitting here in front of a microphone with you is probably <laughs> just, you know, the hunting television show is probably the catalyst to, to it all. Um, you know, I come from a background of multi-sport athletics, uh, from mountaineering to adventure racing, big wall climbing, and obviously hunting. Uh, hunting has been my passion and we've created this television show called Greg McHale's Wild Yukon. Um, and we do all of our, you know, majority of our hunting, certainly uh, in the Yukon. And yeah, it's it's kind of been a whirlwind since we started the, the television series. And things are just fantastic. Uh, I think that we couldn't be any more fortunate than we are. And every day is just uh, is just a great day. Yeah, I uh, I I'll tell you what, I love your logo. It, it sticks out at you, and 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 I also am kind of joking from the standpoint. Mine involves a compass as well, so that's why I I uh, said that. But it, it looks great. And um, how how long have you had the show then on the Sportsman's Channel? Well, 2018 was our first season. Um, so this is we're coming up into season two here in July. So we're airing on Saturdays. Our main time slot is Saturday afternoon. And what we do is, yeah, we've been on there. and We're actually going to be airing in Canada on Sportsman Canada this year for the first time. So we've, we started out maybe a little bit different than most shows, certainly in Canada. We started out in the United States um, because clearly the, the business model uh, just spoke to that. And obviously we've got a lot of requests in Canada and I always knew that I wanted to bring it to Canada. It's just a matter of the two systems don't really, um, they're just completely different models as to how television works in, in the two countries. And we just, uh, yeah, we're really p pleased to be able to get it on, on a network in Canada as well as the U S this year. Oh, that's great. What, so what kind of led you to want to start a TV show and I know you said you love hunting and, and you, you were, you know, a multi-sport athlete in the past and everything, but what made you want to, you know, share those experiences? Really? I think that, um, it's just the next level of evolution for difficulty in a lot of ways. You know, it's, I've, I've been hunting in the Yukon for over 20 years now, and we've started carrying a camera around and just, you know, <laughs> sitting around a fire with buddies and saying, you know, we should really just start to record this stuff. Like nobody's doing this in the Yukon and we should start recording this because the Yukon is kind of a bucket list hunt for anybody who's serious about hunting. And a lot of the, you know, television shows there that are out there, their number one show of the year is, you know, a trip to, if you're a North American hunter, a trip to the Yukon or Alaska, and that's, you know, that's their flagship uh, television program of the season. So, you know, we live here 
And it just got to the point where we said, we need to start recording this. And then once we did, uh, we got a little more serious year after year. And then it was finally like, okay, we need to, we need to drive this home. We need to really showcase the Yukon and do it in the style that we want to do it in, which is, you know, this adventure racing, you know, hard charging style of, of hunting. So that's how it really all, all became. And, you know, it kind of came together over, over a long period of time to culminate in what, you know, we call Greg McHale's wild Yukon. Yeah. That, I mean, that's interesting to me because like you said, there's, there's TV shows that were, they've hunted the Yukon, but it's never something that's been a main focus of the entire program. And I, I think it's an awesome concept and it's a dream, you know, hunt for myself personally, like you said, for, I'm sure most hunters that, you know, especially mountain hunters that want to do that. It's a, it's a bucket list item. So being able to see that is, is pretty awesome that you get to live that life. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's, we feel that it, you know, I feel it. I'm very fortunate, but, uh, I left, you know, I left Ontario, which is not that far from where you are now. And I left Southern Ontario farm country to come to the Yukon just after university with the intent to, to hunt. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely been always part of, uh, part of where I wanted to get to, not necessarily in the, the videography, the production side. I didn't have any uh, visions that that's where I would be 20 years ago, but I certainly wanted to be in the wildest places that I could, that I could be. And, and this, this was it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, I think you found the, probably one of the wildest places you can find in the world. That's for sure. <laughs> I, and you know, like you said, it's, it's something that not a lot of people get to see and get to experience. So it's pretty cool that you're able to capture that and, and share those experiences with everyone. And I think the, the coolest part of it. And when, when I was talking to you and Carl, who's, he's your videographer. Am I correct? Um, the, our, the main, the, the main team is, and it seems to be expanding, but is Carl and Dave. So Dave is the main videographer and uh, primary editor Carl uh, is production. He videographer. He does social uh, and some of the social editing. So I mean, we are we are a small core team. Um, the team is getting bigger, <laughs> almost almost by you know as every few months goes goes by. There's somebody else that that comes in and you know fills a gap. But yeah, it's these are these are the guys. Yeah, and I'm sure that. Did you know those guys, you know, prior to the show or these, you know, friends of yours or how did, how did that come together? Because I'm sure it's not easy to find someone to film these type of hunts unless they have the same sort of drive and everything that you do. Yeah, no, this team was built from ground up. Um, so Dave came to work for me. Um, I have, uh, another, a company called Caribou Crossing Trading Post. It's a tourism operation that caters to the cruise ship traffic out of Alaska. And Dave came from Czech Republic and uh, worked with me seasonally. And it was, you know, over the over the year we became the first summer that he worked with me, we became friends. And then the second year I said, Dave, uh, I actually noticed that he'd done a little bit of video stuff uh, with him and his girlfriend on on their trip. And I thought, oh, you know what, that's that's pretty good stuff. We should go out. Uh, we should get out in the mountains and uh, record a record a hunt. 
so that's where it started with Dave. And that was, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, something like that now. And so we've just built this together um, over that time frame. No, you know, no real education. None of us uh, had ever any formal education in the video videography industry. We just had a had an idea and this, the type of people that, you know, that this team are is that we once we make the decision to do it, it's kind of full on and we've kind of executed the plan. Um, so that's Dave and Carl. Carl and I first met um, through uh, actually we were uh, running. Um, a bunch of us got together on a Sunday and went for a run. And and Carl was uh, was one of the guys out there. And we just kind of hard charged at the end of a couple hour run together. And, you know, he uh, he did good. So it was like, yeah, you know what? We should maybe go hunting together. And Carl had a camera and he was uh, a still photographer. He liked to to do that amateur wise. And we got out and we captured a, a goat hunt together. And ever since then, we've been pretty much hunting together ever since. So, and that was 2011. So that was eight years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So this, this team has been built from literally from the ground up. No professional videographers have been, you know, have been really brought in actually, Actually, I shouldn't say that. We did last year, brought somebody else in because uh, Carl wasn't able to make a, a couple hunts. But uh, besides that, it's just it's the three of us just moving in the mountains and getting after it. That's awesome. That's cool to hear that, that, how you built that from the ground up and everyone's, you know, pulling their part and learning and, and doing that. You know, I, I just from a little bit different, but a similar concept. When I decided to start the podcast, I had no background on anything with audio or, or any, any of that stuff. And when you set, if you want a goal for something like that, you set it and you, if you work towards it, you'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. If you want it, you're just going to do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I could, couldn't set it any better. So yeah. Greg, kind of what I wanted to talk to you about here is, on, on your YouTube channel also has a lot of good information on, you know, being the best mountain hunter that you possibly can be. And like these short video segments that kind of explain and your reasonings why, and there's a lot of good information there. And I kind of wanted to go through your, your top seven, your key aspects for being a successful mountain hunter. And with, you know, the basis of my podcast, you know, a lot of people are trying to they're they're aspiring to be a mountain hunter or adventure hunter or they are and they're you know they've done it for a few years but want to learn more and want to get better they're eager to learn you know how to become successful in it and i think you're the perfect guy to talk to about it all right well uh thank you um the yeah the idea behind the youtube channel is certainly to provide uh, valuable information that maybe just isn't out there. Um, you know, I find that a lot of, a lot of hunters and a lot of maybe, you know, television personalities aren't really getting deep into what it is that makes them successful or what, and for me, what makes a mountain hunter successful is just something that I've been doing and over, you know, 20 some years. And I think that my job, if I can provide value to somebody that is going out on their first mountain hunt, or even if they've got 20 years in, and if there's something that I can 
you know, throw out there that will help, then that's what I need to do. Yeah. So that's, that's where kind of those, the, uh, the YouTube channel is trying to provide. Um, and yeah, if I can, if I can help, that's, that's what, that's what I need to do. So fire away. If you have any questions, let's, uh, let's go through it. Yeah. Let's, let's get into the, the first aspect here. And I feel like it's one of the ones that you're extremely passionate about from hearing about your background and that's physical preparation. So I kind of want to hear what you have to say about physical preparation as, as a whole, and then I'll kind of dig into some specific questions with it. Okay. So yeah, for, for me, like, and I do come back to, to the topic based on a lifetime of, you know, physical activity at a high level, um, as a professional in, in multi-sport, like adventure racing. So I just know what the, the power of having a solid physical, um, body and a solid, you know, preparation going into a hunt. I just know the value of that and how it really culminates in success when you actually do the work that it takes to be physically fit and how that really helps when you get boots on the ground in an unforgiving environment. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing that I learned. And again, I I have not hunted the mountains that you do, but even in the Rocky mountains of the Western United States, you know, it's some unforgiving terrain and a guy coming from the East at, you know, 500 feet elevation or thousand feet elevation, that's a big change. And, you know, that if you, especially if you're going to a place like the Yukon on a dream hunt or, or British Columbia or Alaska or anything, you know, you want to be in the, the, the best physical shape you can to help support your mental state. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it leads into that, that whole mental aspect of it as well. But the, you know, if you, when you do the work and you actually do, do start doing things right. Like we all know there's no secret to being in good shape. Like let's, let's be honest. Like if you don't know what it takes to get in good shape, then you've got, you're living in some sort of a hole in a cave in, you know, in parts of the world that nobody knows about because the information is out there. But what people don't do is put the effort in that it's going to take to get to the level that whatever level that is for you, like, and it's, and it's all relative to what your goals are. So I'm not saying that everybody has to go and put in 20 hour weeks doing, you know, training. But if you do have this dream hunt that you want to go on, or you want to hunt, even if it's in your own backyard and it's not the Rocky mountains of the West, but give yourself the best opportunity that you can to be successful. And the better that you are physically, that opportunity just compounds and it just explodes. And if you can do that hard work that we all know that it takes, your mental game comes into play and then you just feel physically and mentally stronger for when you are in the field. Yeah. So Greg, what are some of the things that you do to get in that extreme physical shape? I mean, and again, I know that, that you have a strong background in that stuff, but what, what are some of the things that you do outside of hunting season, um, to kind of prepare for that? Um, 
yeah, so all of I would say that the majority of my um, physical preparation is based on uh, endurance athletics. So I'm I'm not you know anybody that is goes out there and hits the gym and does um, you know pushes the weights. Anything that you do to move, I'm all for it. Don't don't get me wrong here. I'm I'm all about getting out, physical activity, sweating, and moving your body forward. For me, I know that the best mountain shape does not um, lend itself to being able to, you know, bench press 200 pounds. Um, it those things. I know for a fact do not correlate in the Yukon mountains because it's certainly the way that I hunt. Now, if you're picking up a moose quarter off of the ground and you're moving it to, you know, 50 yards to a boat, or if you're moving it to, you know, even, even a hundred yards or a, a kilometer or two, that, that mass strength is going to help you for that period of time but it is not going to help you cover 30 miles in the mountains to find that doll sheep that you've been dreaming about and doing it day after day after day. So um, just to be clear, I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not carving up anybody that spends a lot of time pushing weights in the gym, but I just know for me and the physical ability that I need to have in the mountains is predicated off of endurance athletics. So I spend a lot of time running. I spend a lot of time paddling. Um, I spend time cross training on the bike um, just to get a high level of cardio. And then I also carry a pack, um, you know, step ups with a pack for, you know, for long periods of time. Um, just really to develop an endurance, a system of endurance that I can go day after day after day. And I know that it's not going to fall apart. Yeah. I mean, I mean, think about it when you're say you're on a dream hunt or any hunt for that matter, and you have X amount of time to get it done. A lot of people end up quitting before they get to that point because they're wore out or, you know, they're, again, they're, they're mentally distraught from the fact that they're, you know, not in the best physical condition they can be in. And I, I just, I know again, from just my limited experience with, with it, my, my first year, I didn't prepare as much that way. I used to be into lifting weights a lot and I, I still do lift weights, but I was, that was my focus. And I was focusing in the wrong areas where, you know, now like the, this morning is, as I'm record was recording this before that, you know, I went for a six mile hike in the morning before work with a weighted, uh, with 50 pounds in my pack and start, you know, using those type of things and build a step up box out of spare wood I had around the house. And, you know, that, that seemed to help me out. So I, I like that, you know, your, your way of doing it there. At least I feel like I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you totally, in my opinion, you totally are because like I, I do do, um, I'm very specific in my training and now all I do is train for you know the hunting environment so um I shouldn't say that I do I do run some you know 50 milers and stuff like that but that and that doesn't necessarily I don't necessarily have to run that far in order to be able to be successful in the mountains but um still that kind of training only is a huge benefit 
Um, but I don't, I do a lot of indoor training, uh, early in the morning. Um, but certainly whether it's, you know, speed work on the treadmill, because I want to get, I don't want to just have that endurance. I want to be able to kick it down when I need to. Um, so I train speed as well as endurance, but that's, it's still, um, when I say endurance, I mean like a six hour run versus a speed run that might last 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's funny the way that, oh, you know, I, I don't really do much, but, you know, 50 mile or here and there, you know, races, it just, it's funny. <laughs> well, to, to put it into perspective, though, I used to race like thousand kilometer races or like races that were four to you know, seven days long and covered these mass distances, uh, human powered with a, you know, map and compass over varied terrain all around the world. So when you start, when I talk about training, um, you know, specifically for running, like I used to train sometimes 20 to 25 hours a week and it used to be, you know, running, paddling and biking, um, and cross country and, so the, that level of training is not where I'm at anymore because I'm very focused on, on hunting training. Now they, they still do correlate really, really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because if you're, like I said, again, the fitter you are, the better you will perform in the Hills. And so that's the kind of style that, uh, I, I don't do the 20 to 25. Now I'm maybe down to the 10 to 15, but, uh, it's still based off of, off of endurance. Do you do anything for strength as far as, um, I I know you're gaining strength in a lot of those things, but are you doing anything specific, uh, for strength of legs or back or anything else? Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm very diligent about, um, about making sure that all of the, you know, the system is all working. So like if, I, I wouldn't, I do not sit down to a bench press and, and do that. Um, now, and I also don't, you know, I'm not trying to pick up you know, 300 pounds of deadlifts and that's not the kind of training that I do. Um, because I also don't want to get any bigger. Like I don't want to have this mu- muscle mass. I want to have a lean muscle mass because the lighter I am, the faster I can go, the easier it is on my body, on the joints. And so I don't, I don't, I, a lot of like, um, like burpees and those kind of just body movements, mm-hmm. uh, body movement training versus, you know, really trying to bulk up and use and have this power, power lifting style of training. I, I have done that in the past for, with a specific, you know, goal, but that's that does not work for uh for hunting for me okay uh, yeah that that makes sense and yeah it's funny you said that because i had someone tell me in the past they're like a lot a big mistake they see a lot of people making is yet you know, they're spending x amount of dollars on lightweight gear which i'm you know this is awesome and definitely helps but they're not spending their time in losing some body mass that you know equates to being lighter and being able to move faster in you know in the mountains itself you know i mean that's what <laughs> well, that's I, not you know <laughs> that's not hard to figure out because that's just laziness mm-hmm. it's easy to go buy a lightweight piece of gear but it's hard to lose 20 pounds yeah 
and, and like, but even like the the part you said about the muscle mass, though, you know, that's something that you know people say think that they're you know training for it or doing whatever, and they have extra muscle mass that they may not need. I mean, like I said, I I was kind of in that boat and and have learned a little bit through time and and of doing that, but being able to, if anyone's you know doing their first uh, trip like that or or whatever it might be, then being able to cut that learning curve definitely is helpful. Yeah. And like, I, I know that, you know, there's going to be, there's a lot of programs and a lot of things going on out there in the, in the hunting world right now is around athletically. And a lot of them are probably, you know, in contrast to what I'm saying. Um, so I'm just telling people what I know works for me. And I've been doing this, you know, for a lot of years, and I believe um, I don't have a degree in exercise physiology or kinesiology or anything like that. But I know my body, and I know that you know. You look at any really good mountain hunter that you can that you can look at and go, oh, that guy spent you know years hunting in the mountains, and I can tell you he's probably not, you know got a massive chest and shoulders and, and all of these things. Um, but that's, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, no, that, that makes completely sense, a complete sense, you know, with it. And it's funny, you know, there is, a, like you said, there's a ton of programs out there and, and I've, uh, this year I started using a program called mountain tough fitness out of Bozeman, Montana. And there the the pro I've been doing it for six months now and their program aligns a lot with what you're saying as far as there is, there's some weight training involved, but there's a lot of endurance and a lot of, you know, when you, when it comes to the, the movements that you're doing, it's all with, you know, without break or short breaks and trying to just, you know, gain that endurance. And, and part of it is, you know, a couple of days a week, putting the pack on and, and doing things along those lines which I've found that works. I've never really been a guy that's into a lot of programs or anything, but that, that has been something that's been helpful for, for me personally. It seems to align with what you're saying because, you know, you, yourself, I mean, it, whether you want to, you know, admit it or not, it's you've been doing it for so long. You've proven it. It doesn't matter if you have a background in those, you know, in schooling on it. You've proven it through years of experience, which is, you know, way uh, more valuable than, than anything else. Uh, well, thanks. Um, I kind of look at, see, I come from hunt, come to hunting with, I think, um, just a fairly diverse attitude and experience level in different sports. And if you take a, take mountaineering, for example, um, these, these guys, um, at the highest level of mountaineering, I'm not talking about somebody that just wants to go and, and, you know, off the couch and start climbing mountains, but you know, at the highest level of mountaineering, take a look at these guys' bodies. There is not a single one of those guys in the top, you know, top 10% or the top 5% of that world that is packing any extra amount of muscle mass. And that's what I look at the sheep hunting world or the mountain hunting world here in the West is all you, all you have to do is look at the best athletes on the planet at those types of sports. And we all look the same. 
like none of us are packing any muscle mass that is not, you know, that's, that's not absolutely usable. Um, and so any program that is predicated on building muscle mass, I, I believe is a, is an actual detriment in the field when you're pounding day after day after day. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's I I met uh, a sheep guide from British Columbia. Do you happen to know Dustin Rowe at all? I do know Dustin. Yeah. Yeah, Dustin's. You know, he's not the you know big guy whatsoever, and the guy just he straight up kills it every single year. And you know, he he had said something before to me about that, and and you know, kind of you know poking fun a little bit at some of the the misconceptions in the industry along those lines. But yeah, you I mean you're spot on with it, with that, with that statement. Yeah. Well, you got to just got to look at Dustin. He's, he's a small guy. Like, um, I don't know what his height is, but he's, you know, maybe five foot six to five foot eight, somewhere in there. He's not super tall, but he's lean and he can, and he can carry, you know, he can carry his weight through the mountains and he's been, you know, he's very well known in the sheep hunting world. So that's, that's a testament as to kind of what it what the body should look like um out there in the mountains that's that's just again my opinion and it's probably going to shake shake some people (laughs) that aren't going to want to hear that but that's again that's just how i feel about it no if i can relay if i can relay that information to to people that are want to be serious about um having the best opportunity of success then that's where I would uh, direct my attention to them. Gotcha. So how does that kind to to play into your next you know aspect here of mental preparation? How do how are you you know mentally preparing for this, and how do those two kind of fit together? So they yeah they certainly the physical aspect um, is is hugely important, and when you when you do the work to be physically prepared, it really sets your mind in a place where you feel that you can tackle things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. So um, I, I believe that those, the, the physical and the mental are, are certainly two absolutely separate things, but they definitely play on each other. Um, ultimately, for me to get mentally strong, I have to put myself in difficult situations. I, I literally seek them in order to be able to suffer so that I know when I'm in the environment or in, in a race or out on a sheep hunt that it just becomes normal operating procedure. Anything that comes up is just not going to be a problem. And when you can mentally be at a place where when the shit hits the fan, you can you actually start to laugh, then you know you're in a really <laughs> you know you're in a good spot. I, I'll give you a story. My buddy and I, um, uh, Ryan Leaf is his name. He he and I about poof, I'll bet you maybe eight, ten years ago now, we were uh, out sheep hunting, and we were just gonna. The idea was we were gonna go fast, light, and we were gonna make this happen in one day, and maybe due to lack of preparation on both his and my part, we seem to have a, a similar style of we'll just figure it out attitude. But um, so we we went up into the mountains, we found a ram, um, we 
we he, Ryan was Ryan was hunting and he missed the first shot. Um, and it was it was a it was a further shot than uh, than he probably would have liked. And none, nonetheless, the the sheep ran away. And we kind of looked at each other and just went, okay, now it's on. So we just started running and this sheep was gone and it, and we saw it running, you know, mountains, you know, one after the other, we were in a great spot and we just kept after it. And eventually that night before dark, uh, we got to like, I don't know, 50 yards from it and he was able to take it. So really where the, where the story starts is now we find ourselves with a ram on the ground uh, empty backpacks, no head torch, no lighters, no nothing. It's in September. It starts to rain and it's pitch black. And so, <laughs> so we are, you know, we're miles away from getting out. And I, for me, it's kind of like, okay, so we're, we're, this is adventure racing. So we get the Ram in our packs and we start moving and we're losing light. And in September, you know, it's, fully clouded. Uh, it's raining. It's super cold and we're carrying heavy packs and we just have to have to stop. And Ryan says, he says to me, well, do you think we should, you know, find a place to hunker down? And I said, yeah, let's just, well, let's just keep going until try to get off the top of this mountain first off, cause we're completely exposed. Um, and we just continued down. I said, yeah, let's just keep going until we can't walk anymore because we can't, you know, we're falling down with the weight in the pack. And like literally two seconds later, Ryan falls down and he goes, huh, do you mean like that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we, we search for this, you know, four foot, five foot pine tree. And if you know what they look like here up on the tops of the mountains, often they can grow horizontally and be super dense. So we just hunkered down underneath this tree in the raging you know, wind and rain and we're freezing, you know, bodies in our backpacks. Um, we took the whole sheep cape and we're spooning underneath this tree getting rained on. And like the tree is providing zero coverage, <laughs> but you know, we're spooning in the, all night long with our bodies in our backpacks, uh, as far up as we can pull them and a sheep cape over top of us. And, you know, <laughs> and we're freezing and in the middle of the night, you know, I just started laughing and he's, and Ryan goes like, what's so funny? And then he starts laughing and it's just kind of how it goes. Like you're on the edge of freezing and you just start laughing. And when you can do that, when you put yourself in suffering situations that that becomes fun, then it's a whole different level of, of understanding and as to what the human body can do and what you can achieve. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds like a crazy story as far as, you know, it, and it takes um, some thought to, to, you know, take the cape out and throw it over top you and, and stay, you know, underneath that. And what, I guess, what, uh, you, were you up close to tree line at that point where you said there was the, the shorter pine trees that were there? Yeah, like we were at maybe 4,000 four thousand feet. We just couldn't get off the mountain because we just couldn't see at all anymore. And we couldn't walk with that weight and risk, you know, falling into a hole or whatever. You just couldn't see anything. So we had to, we looked for anything we could find. And that was the, that was the tree that, that we called home for the night. <laughs> I'm guessing there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of sleep that night. 
there was not a lot of sleep had that night. No, for sure. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, like, like you said, I mean, the, the mental side of it is where, is where you, you know, you definitely break down your body because it's a lot more capable than you think. It's whether your mind can keep up with it. Yeah. The, the body is an amazing tool and that's exactly how I look at, at this, you know, this thing that we live in is, is the body is literally just a machine. It's a tool. And as long as your mind is strong and you do do the right things that it takes to take care of the machine, then you're unstoppable. Like you really are. And unfortunately, our society right now is just so set up off on being soft and being making life so easy that guys like me literally have to search hardship in order to feel alive. And that's that's kind of what what I do is I put myself in in the most difficult situations that I can in the hunting realm just to kind of just to know you're alive. And to, to feel the gratification of, um, of success or failure, you know, every hunt doesn't, doesn't culminate in a success, but if you go out there and you learn from your failures, this is just a metaphor for life. I just use it in hunting a lot, but you know, if you don't fail, you cannot get better. It's, it's the people that fail and learn from it and don't quit. And don't fear failure because like we all fear failure, but it's, do you fear it so much that it limits you? It limits your success. And that's the difference between people that are highly successful and people that aren't is that you have to be able to deal with the failure and get up from it and keep moving forward. Yeah. And from the sounds of it, I mean, you're definitely on the the side of the camp where, you know, mental toughness can be gained through these type of events rather than, you know, something you're born with. Oh, mental toughness can totally be gained. You just have to be mentally strong enough to take that first step to put yourself into difficult situations. Yeah. That's the hard, that's the hard thing. Once you're in it, then you just figure it out. Yeah. You know, but you gotta get right (laughs) i it's it's funny though like i i remember you know like you said we live in a pretty soft convenient you know comforted blanketed world um anymore and and when i when i did my first backpack hunt on day like four my mind was about fried like i just i didn't want to do it anymore i was like just beat down and and everything else. And it helped, you know, having good people around me that, you know, helped, we picked each other up, you know, through it and and got through it. But it's funny looking back, you know, four years later, how much, you know, I've, I've grown in that aspect and, and the things that I thought were a big deal and that, you know, I'd worried about and stuff before doesn't affect me as much. And, and it, it goes, it translates right over to the rest of your life, you know, and the, in your work environment, things that, you know, might get you flustered up and stuff. When you go through those type of experiences in the mountains, it makes all that stuff seem like it's not that big of a deal and you just got to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. When, where I learned that, I guess it wasn't necessarily through hunting, but it was through adventure racing and you race for four to six days on end and you come, you've experienced 
you know, a light, like a year's worth of experiences in a, a four day, six day period. Um, when you go back to work and somebody's whining about the photocopy machine isn't working today, it's like, dude, you have no concept of what, you know, real problems are. And when you, when, and the only way you can achieve that is by putting yourself into a difficult situation, which makes you realize that, yeah, you know what? This traffic might suck right now, but this is no big deal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's let's so put funny. this into the real world. That's so funny you say that. Like I, I get almost annoyed, you know, when I'm at work and stuff and people are being negative about all these things. I'm like, it's not a big deal. Like it's look at it. If you look at, you know, is this small situation you're dealing with right now, is that going to affect you in, you know, two years or even a day, you know, most of the time. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not. And that, that's, that's funny. I mean, that's, you're exactly right. When you put yourself in those real situations that, that put yourself in, you know, uncomfortable places, it makes the, the little things that either, you know, you used to, you know, whine about or others, it's just not a big deal anymore. So, and one of the things like you kind of mentioned, like people that are negative, that's one thing that I really believe is that, um, the people that, you know, there's obviously those sayings that, you know, you are the, the average of your five closest friends, but, um, that kind of idea and being around positive people that have are driven and goal oriented and, um, you know, that are just have this zest for life, I call it. Um, you know, if, if you spend your time with those kind of people and you cut out the people who are negative in your life, um, and that's sometimes hard to do, but it's a game changer when you just spend time with people that have, that look at the world as the cup is half full. If, if you, and I, I only associate myself um, you know, obviously that's a little bit more difficult to do if certain family members or whatever, you don't, uh, <laughs> you don't cut them off. But, but at the same time, um, I really minimize the negativity in my life and try to associate with people who are better than me. Um, and so that I can grow and learn from them and, you know, and we can contribute to each other's lives. So the, the when you say the negative, uh, influences, if, if people can, you know, try to minimize those negative influences, it's just the world is a, a much nicer place. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. And it, you know, whether that's yeah, surrounded around your workplace or your friend group or whatever it is, that's I I think that I I completely agree. That's been one of the the biggest things for myself personally in helping with growth is being surrounded by those people that are, like you said, better than, than I am and I can learn from it. And they're always positive no matter what. And, and, and have that mentality of, like you said, the half, the glass is half full and, and not just looking at the negatives with, with everything because mindset is everything with it. Yeah, it totally is. Like, when I think that I get, I get annoyingly, uh, uh, to some, you know, some of my friends and some, some people that, you know, when somebody says, how's your day, you know, and really I, I go like, you know what, the day is great. Like I'm, <laughs> and 
people don't aren't necessarily used to that, right? Like, so it's it does. Be, I think maybe I become annoying to to some people because uh, I do look at every day like it is. It's awesome, even if even if shit is going bad, it's still really good place that we live in North America. Like we have everything, and we have nothing to complain about on the big scheme of things. Sure, some people's. Um, you know, things go, go bad in your life, but you have to put it into perspective as to how bad is this? You know, we're all going to die. There's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen and whether we can control that. And those are, you know, sometimes bad things happen to really good people, but we, but really where we live is just such an amazing place and an amazing time to be here. Um, sometimes we just have to push ourselves to, you know, to, to really feel life and experience it and take it all in. Yeah. I, it, when I'm at, uh, my day job, so I have, I work in a manufacturing facility as an environmental and safety engineer. And, and when I'm in, in the office or out in the plant, you know, people will say like, but why are you always smiling? Like, is your job that easy? And I was like, <laughs> I was like no, I was like, I just don't have a reason to, to be, you know, upset with it. Cause think about it when you ask someone, you know, Oh, how's it going today? I bet 90% of people respond, not bad, you know, instead of yeah. good, great. You know, it's going good. Well, I respond like that. I just get the weirdest looks and it's, I think it's funny. I, yeah. I, I get, I get a kick out of it. <laughs> but that's, that's a great place to be. Like, like when guys like you and I can look at the day and take it into perspective and go, you know what? It's damn good. And Let's what's there to complain about um, when you look at life that way, no matter what's happening, um, if you if you can self check, it's uh, that's kind of where you want to be. I believe that's that's I don't want to change a thing in my world. And that's where I want to remain. And I think that uh, I think that I surround myself with people that have a similar attitude. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. So kind of Greg did start diving into some of your other aspects here. The next one that you have that you talk about is into equipment choices and, you know, being the best mountain hunter you can be. So how do, how does equipment play a role in, in your success? Um, so yeah, obviously the, the style of hunting that I do, I need to be as light and as fast and as effective as I can be in order to achieve the goals that, uh, that I set. So the longer that you can stay out in, in the weather, say with, if, say we're talking in this, we're talking about clothing, the longer and the more comfortable clothing that you can have that allow you to stay out in the field longer without, you know, getting cold, um, or overheating that just makes, it just makes good sense. Like there was the days when 20 some years ago, when I used to sheep hunt in jeans and I used to cross rivers and those pants would literally be wet for days because, you know, the humidity is high and they just don't dry out. And it is not fun. Like we're already in an environment that is is physically demanding and is unpredictable. So if you have these goals and you're not just trying to suffer for the sake of suffering and you want to achieve a goal, whether it's a bull elk or it's a sheep in the mountains or it's a moose, whatever. If you don't 
if you don't have the ability, whether it's financial or whatever, to be able to get the best equipment, I get it. Like I was there. <laughs> That's why I was hunting in jeans. But if you want to, to build the recipe for success and you are passionate enough about it and willing to, you know, to put out the capital to achieve um, that goal, because then why wouldn't you? What it's funny because I used to spend, you know, a significant amount of money to go to these places, even though I live in the Yukon to travel for, you know, hours to get back into country that nobody really gets to and the physical effort and the money that it takes to get there with no real, um, I guess, thought that I should really spend more money on the equipment and I was always predicated that I can physically do it. But you start to put those two things together and with the best equipment that you can afford um, and with a physical ability and a mental attitude. And yeah, you're you're stacking everything in the pro pile. Yes, yes, I, I completely agree. You know, once I learned about layering systems and how they all worked, because, I mean, that's not something that's necessarily taught, especially in the whitetail world, which I think it's extremely important there, too. But it's just not something that until, you know, the last five years or so was, you know, that information wasn't really out there. Once I learned how that all works together, man, is that an amazing thing. And just just talking from the apparel side of things. And then once you, you know, combine that with a good pack and boots and everything else, it's it's an amazing feeling. You feel more confident, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just adding another layer of of confidence. Right. And like it's funny because I used to before, you know, I was really in the hunting world. um, I used to be you know a big wall climber uh you know ice i was always had very technical gear um and then you know i did bring up on my very first season i was told by the outfitter to bring you know these jeans and i wore them for you know basically a hunt and said this is this is does not work for me <laughs> <laughs> but but i i had you know good like gore-tex like 20 years ago um, because I came from a world of physical activity, at out outdoors, which, you know, the, you know, the North face, the, you know, mountain hardware came after them, like those, those type of manufacturers, it's, were cutting edge 20 years ago or 25, 30 years ago. And it just took so long for the hunting industry to catch up. And, you know, really, if it wasn't for, we would have eventually caught up, but you know, guys like Jason Harrison, who, who started Sitka and then Kuyu, like he really brought that to the mainstream. And because prior to that for years, I was just wearing a plain black, you know, Gore-Tex jacket or even a colored Gore-Tex jacket because the technical clothing were, was what I knew that I needed in the mountains. But now the technology is so far beyond just, you know, that the, the Gore-Tex style of, of clothing were just, just moved like leaps and bounds, even from a technical aspect from 15 years ago. And in that bring to bring that to the hunting industry is game changer. Yeah. And that's what's, what's great is there, like you said, 
you know, I've I've listened to the story and I've read the story of Jason and Jonathan Hart when they, you know, they were on the mountain together and came up with the idea and they've literally changed the industry and, uh, you know, have helped because it seems like the hunting industry is behind in just about every aspect from other outdoor activities. You know what? It, it really is. Um, I, I completely agree with you on that from, you know, from the physical aspect of it to, uh, certainly we've, well, we've definitely caught up in the clothing, um, clothing aspect there. We're absolutely at the leading edge right now with, uh, you know, companies like Kuyu. Uh, I, I know that for a fact. So those are the, those are the kind of, uh, areas that we have caught up. We have not caught up in a physical activity level compared to what uh, mainstream sports, you know, and the dedication that it takes to be really good. Now, guys are starting to, it's it's becoming more popular to be athletic and it's, and which is amazing. Um, the styles of training, I don't think are there yet, but um, so that's an aspect I think that we're still, uh, lacking. And I would say that nutrition is a huge one that we're lacking still. Um, just the, the, the knowledge of, and the importance of proper nutrition into the, into the body and how it fuels us and how that relates to a mountain hunt. Um, you know, I think that that's, we are, we are really lacking in that department. Yeah. And and I think it's, it's starting to trend that in a better way. You know, a little bit. I, I remember when podcasts first came out, the first one I listened to was Adam Yonke's Beyond the Kill. And he had Heather Kelly on there from Heather's Choice talking about that stuff. And I, I remember that was when I was first getting into kind of, you know, the, the Western hunting, the mountain hunting side of things. And I'd always been into eating healthy and everything, but never looked at it, how to apply that to hunting. And, you know, and you know, would always take the, the food with me that wasn't, um, necessarily the best when I'd eat it home clean, but for some reason wouldn't do the same in the mountains. And, you know, then, uh, you know, now, you know, companies like Heather's choice and, and some other companies that are helping push that. And then from the, you know, the informational side of things, there's, there is some people pushing that, but it's still, it's very tough to get that point across. Yeah, it's, you know, we, we as hunters are, um, we're very, well, by virtue of hunting, we are predicated on meat. And, uh, you know, if you, if you really look at, I, I don't know that, like, I'm certainly not afraid to dive into these conversations because I know it to be true. So when, when you look at, you know, processed foods and processed meat and, you know, these things are absolute carcinogens and they cause cancer, it's proven. So, I mean, we as hunters, obviously we eat meat and it's, it's very difficult to eat good meat that you can buy in a grocery store. So when we go out and we hunt, and we eat the game that we've killed, um, it's, you know, it's the best lean protein that you can get in the world. And, but having said that, even some places in the, in the, in Canada and the United States that are, you know, eating venison, those animals are eating off of the same farmer's fields that, you know, the cows are eating from 
and that is you know gmo is and all of these things that that go into our food system is ends up inside us and you know that's that's a that's a world in itself and a lot of people don't want to don't want to hear that because like i grew up in farm country like i grew up with my you know on a on a cow farm on a, a dairy farm working my ass off with my grandfather from when i was a little kid and i know like farming is the heart of our of our nations and i get it but some you know the reality is is some of the pro, the the things that we are producing that are being put into our bodies are just not good for us and all i care about for me is what i feed my family what i put in my body that allows me to achieve the goals that i want to achieve and if you put garbage in, you get garbage out. It's real simple. Yep. I mean, it doesn't get more uh, straightforward and simple than that. It's it. I, I couldn't agree any more on that. I'm I, I'm a big proponent of healthy eating from the standpoint of you know even when it comes down to meat and everything else. And I I can't say that I'm always the best at taking my own advice with it, but you know, for the most part, I, you know, definitely do. And especially when it comes to, you know, leading up into hunting season and everything else. But, and, 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 and as you said, I mean, as things are coming out, you know, as we've been, you know, putting these certain things in our foods and the, the chemicals and everything that are sprayed on there, you're starting to see some of those effects, you know, hitting the hitting the world now what the effects of you know even 30 40 years ago yeah, absolutely um so like don't get me wrong i'm not i'm the last one that's going to say that i do everything perfect i don't i fail all the time in my eating and i probably i find that that's probably one of the most difficult things that i i deal with on a daily basis is is controlling my mind to say no it is food is so hard, <laughs> yeah. but, but the, the thing is, if you don't do it, science is proven here, guys, gals, that if you don't do it, we are going, you are just limiting your success in almost every aspect of life. Take a look at our children. Take a look at our children, <laughs> you know, now in grade I don't know, call it grade five and look at the childhood obesity that there is today compared to 40 years ago. Like I remember in grade school that you might've had one or two kids in your class that were a little bit chubby, but now you just look at, look at your kid's class and the littler grades, not, not necessarily so much, but you can see obesity in like five grade five and six. And that's scary. Yeah, no, that's uh, you're hundred percent, hundred percent on with that. It's it's amazing when you when you see that, and and you know from the nutrition level and the physical activity level. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it all starts. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be preachy. It all starts at home, like, and it all starts with education. When you like, because there isn't a single parent out there that if they don't really, if they really sit down and think about it. Like you want to be able to feed your kids the best to give them the best, you know, 
the the best potential in life. Um, and it really does start with uh, with the food. And it's unfortunately in our society, it's not cheap to eat well. And that's that's a that's a break fundamental breakdown of of our society, in my opinion. Now I know that we're getting way off of a hunting world, yeah. <laughs> but it's it it all really does come back together for me. It's this whole package that I believe that you have to have in order to be able to to really be successful in not just hunting but in life. And when you put as many of the pieces on the pro side um, that you can versus the con side, then that's where that's where you need to be. Yeah. No, you're it, like you said. You know, we kind of went a little bit down a rabbit hole there, but in reality, it all comes back into play and and you know creating healthier lives for ourselves and just being more successful in the mountains. You know, based on that on that whole concept. But um, so to kind of switch gears a little bit from the nutrition and the physical side and the mental side, you know, and even on the kind of getting a little bit deeper into the gear side of things, when you look at glassing and, you know, you have that as one of your key aspects, why, why is glassing so important to you and kind of dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So the, the, you know, in the mountain hunting where I know that you don't necessarily like where you, where you hunt, it's so thick that it's just not really an option or there's no advantage to it or very, or very minimal. But out here, um, we just have these vast distances and above tree line that and uh, that you can get in order to see the game. You just have to have good optics and you have to have um, training optics is so when I say that, I mean, training to glass and being good at glassing is amazingly important in the the Western hunting world. Um, and the only way to get better at that is no different than anything else. You just have to get out and do it. Um, because often, you know, you're looking for, you're looking for just parts of an animal and often you're doing it at long distances. So you need to, you need to first see what an animal looks like at those distances. So you know what to look for, um, so when it comes to Western hunting and hunting in here in the Yukon, good glass and the training, the practice behind glass is just, is so huge. I can go on the mountain with, you know, with buddies that just don't spend that much time in the, in the hills and they just don't see the game. Like, and that's just practice. Yeah. I mean, that comes down to even with, you know, high country mule deer hunting in yeah. the Western States. I, I haven't done that yet. And I've hunted mostly thick stuff with some open country, but this year I'm switching up a little bit and where I'm hunting at, it's going to be a lot more open terrain. Gonna need to rely on glass a little more. So I was kind of, you know, picking the brains of a couple buddies of mine that have been into high country mule deer hunting who that they were basically said the same thing that you did with it just takes time to to figure it out sitting time you know behind the glass and they're like it's amazing you can look at the same landscape for hours and all of a sudden you pick out an ear flicker of a deer or whatever that might be you know that's bedded down and and it takes a, a trained eye to do that 
Yeah, and the, and the knowledge to know where to look um, is just comes with with time spent. Like, you know, you could be you could be looking at a at a landscape, and those deer could be bedded down behind a pine tree in the shade, and you need to know. I need to be okay. What's the temperature? What's going on right now? How hot is it? Are the are the animals mo- moving? If they're not moving, where are they going to be sitting? And then you're looking underneath shade of trees and you're looking for an ear flicker. You're just, these are the kind of things that you, or you're, you know, you're, you're glassing a valley and you know that the, the moose is going to be in the timber because it's hot. They're going to be sitting in the shade somewhere. So now you're looking for an antler that looks like a, a tree stump, you know, in the timber, in the shaded area. Like these are the things that you need to, you just, just with time that you understand or where a sheep is going to be sitting on a ridge um, or, you know, does that look like it could be a potential lick and are the, are the sheep going to go to that? Um, You know, where's the water? All of these kind of things just, just come into play. And then that really narrows down where you start to start to look first. And then you, I always look at the obvious places to me. I go through my checklist Uh, my mental checklist and these are the obvious places and once I stroke those off then I will um, go to another system of glassing which is you know very much uh, a grid system Um, and I often go from you know from right to left uh, when I'm glassing a mountain because it forces me to slow down because we read left to right so we're very used to moving left to right on a page and we can do it quickly where I, uh, so I focus on going right to left because what it does it is it's not natural and it slows me down and I can grid, grid off a mountain and just pick it apart. Um, and those are the kind of, some of the techniques that I use. Huh. That's, I haven't heard that one before going from right to left. It makes complete sense. Cause like, think about it, if you're reading a book you read extremely fast and you almost skip over things as you're reading, as you're going through it. And the same applies to glassing. That's, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. So try it next time and see if it it slows you down. I will. I will, especially with my short attention span sometimes. So (laughs) it's going to take some training, but yeah, that's, that's great. So when, okay. So you're glassing, you know, glassing there, you kind of went through how you're doing that. Let's step it back to, how are you choosing an area? How are you researching an area to figure out where you want to hunt? Yeah. Um, well, I can't give my trade secrets, but, um, no, <laughs> um, I, I really just try to hunt where most people won't go. Like I can tell you the amount of people over the years, resident hunters that I run into on the mountains, I've, I've ran into a resident hunter on a mountain once in in my life in the Yukon. I've run into outfitters numerous times, uh, but I just try to get away because for me it's it's sure it's about taking a big animal, but it's really about not being around anyone and just enjoying nature in in places that most people don't get to. So really that's, that's one of the biggest things that I look for. I just look for deep, dark holes somewhere that most people don't want to go. 
uh, because a it's either just too far, too physically demanding, or too costly. Um, and when you when you start to get out, get off the beaten path, um, that's where most of the suffering happens. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the unknowns, right? You just I like to I like to explore new places that I haven't hunted before because I like the challenge and the uh, I, I I never go back to the same typically go back to the same place over and over again. Uh, I like to I like to mix it up so. Yeah, I just really pull a pull a map out and start to do my research of what, you know, what depending on the game that I'm looking for, what is a is a good what makes sense on a map where there should be good moose or caribou or sheep or whatever it is. Um I start there. And I've if you if you had my, you know, Google Earth program, there's there's just pins and marks and things all over it all over the whole Yukon and somebody that that got a hold of that program would look at it and go well what the heck does this tell me there's marks everywhere (laughs) (laughs) because there are great spots to hunt almost almost everywhere Um, it's just a matter of of picking one and spending the time to be the best hunter that you can be and you'll probably be successful you know greg i, th- I think you're gonna have to give me your login information just so i can confirm that you're being truthful <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i uh yeah uh i can't can't do it for anybody <laughs> oh man I, I it was it was worth a shot in the dark there, but <laughs> yeah uh, that's funny but no and just um just a quick point on that with I've learned whether it's hunting whitetails in the Appalachian mountains or it's hunting elk in the Rocky mountains, you know, if you, especially if you're in an area that does get some sort of pressure, those animals end up going in those deep, dark holes too, because that's where the people aren't, (laughs) you know, unfortunately. Yeah, no, the, I guess the one good thing about the Yukon is, you know, we say pressure, but there really isn't a significant amount of pressure here. Like we have, you know, we have 30, 30 to 40,000 people in the whole Yukon. So, I mean, and 3,000 of those people buy hunting licenses. So we aren't talking about a resident pressure that is of any significance. Yeah. So it doesn't take, <laughs> when I say that I've only ran into like one resident hunter, like it's because the Yukon is huge and there's not that many people actually going out to to dig into these hard to get places yeah yeah that that definitely that definitely makes sense with it um when when you're going into some of these areas are you typically i mean i know now you're going in with say like a some people filming or anything but have you went in by yourself typically or do you usually go with a partner um well certainly now it's all all the team goes uh three of us but um, yeah, I've done a number of like solo sheep hunts and, um, the very first sheep I ever harvested, uh, I was actually, I wasn't, I didn't go in solo, but, uh, and this kind of is a conversation about partners, <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we had a great game plan that was, that was laid prior to the hunt and we hiked in together and we, uh, the decision was made that, you know, we were both coming out with 
with Rams, and we weren't leaving until that was accomplished. Um, I helped uh, I helped a fellow that we've never since hunted together, but I helped him get his first his his ram, and and then he was uh, he was done. So I uh, I left him in camp with with his sheep, and and I went out and I finished my hunt. Um, so in essence, I I you know did my very first sheep hunt alone. Um, but yeah, I've done a I've done a number of sheep sheep hunts and uh, alone because yeah, I really just enjoy being in the mountains. But I would say that uh, I enjoy more being part of a team and just the camaraderie and the you know the uh, the ability to spend time with people that you want to spend it with in the mountains. I grow, you know, being a, an adventure racer, it's, it's probably the, you know, it's arguably the, the most difficult team sport in the world. Um, so, you know, I come from that really team oriented, um, sport world that I really enjoy that time with, uh, other, other great people in the mountains. So, um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely love the the team aspect of achieving goals together and getting after it. Yeah, when when it comes to choosing a hunting partner, it's funny. Like, you know, I I feel like if you go on a tough mountain hunt, you either come out better friends than you ever could imagine, and you guys, you know, can't wait to plan the next hunt, or you come out and eh, we're friends, but we're probably not going to hang out much anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an environment that, uh, that you, that you can, if the, if things are not great, if the weather's bad and, you know, if the hunting is tough or if the, the environment is tough, you know, it's, you get, uh, you get things figured out real quick and you understand personalities because when people are at their lowest, that's when you really find out who they are, you know, and what they're made of. And you can talk all you want over beers in the, in the pub, getting ready for a hunt. Uh, but you know, you get boots on the ground and get three, four days in and you really figure out who, who a dude is and you can't hide it. There's like, there is no bullshitting in the, in the mountains when shit's hitting the fan. So that's, that's what I love about it. It's funny, me and some of my buddies, we always joke around. We have the saying, you know, the mountains don't give a shit. You know, <laughs> they don't care about you. They don't care about, you know, any anything. They'll, they'll do whatever and put you in some pretty harsh conditions. And and I, I've been lucky to find some great people to hunt with and have like, you know, minds with it. But I am almost like closed off a lot of times to hunting with different people until I know them really well. And even then it's hard to tell, you know, how they're going to react when it comes to, you know, the mountains. It's, I always joke with, you know, one of my good friends I grew up with, we're, we're going on an Alaskan hunt next year. And, and, and also with my cousin. And when we, we talk, you know, we have the same mindset besides that he scares me sometimes with his comments. Uh, He likes being in places where it's like, you know, type three fun, like getting to the point where it's getting pretty, pretty hairy, <laughs> but you know, it, it, you gotta have the same kind of mindset going into it to, to hunt with people. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, like I don't, I don't just hunt with anybody anymore. And like, I have, I have great friends that I just won't hunt with. 
like that we have hunted together in the past is just because I just, you know, there are different dynamics around certainly what I do now with the camera, but, um, but there also are certain hunts that, that I can take the foot off the throttle and that I love to like to go out there with, with guys that I wouldn't necessarily sheep hunt with. Um, and just, you know, to enjoy, enjoy their company around a fire or something, you know, to that nature. And that's a very big part of it for me too. It's not always this hard charge and, you know, just have to get it done, um, at whatever cost attitude. That's, that's not what it's all about either. It's, it's just being out there and enjoying the people that, that you're with. So, um, I find that moose hunting is really, or, or late season caribou hunting is kind of that more, um, come, you know, more relaxed atmosphere because you can't hunt, you know, at, in the dark, right. Where in the summertime here in August, like you can literally pretty much hunt almost all day with the exception of maybe four or five hours where you're trying, you're just body is recovering. So they're just different styles of, of hunts. And, um, I love hunting with my, with my dad uh, he's, you know, he's 73 and he can't, he still sheep hunts, but he's not, you know, he's not hard charging in the, to, to the same degree. Um, but that's just, those are moments that are just gold for me when, when I can get out there with, uh, with friends that I wouldn't necessarily be always sheep hunting with, but yet still enjoy that time with them. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, that there's, there's different hunts like that. So like for where we're at, you know, in the East, turkey hunting is kind of that thing for me where it's, you can, I don't want to say make it more fun because it's all fun in a different degree, but you know, you, you can hunt with people that you might not be hunting in the, the mountains with and just have fun with it. And it's a whole different kind of fun and different story. And it's all, you know, it's all equal on the the playing field as far as enjoying it, but just uh, a different level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. But yeah, partners, that's, that's just, I, I think that's a huge point. And I've, I hear horror stories all the time from friends and other people I have, you know, been lucky enough to meet as far as horror stories with hunting partners. Yeah. And there's no doubt that, uh, you know, that probably people have horror stories about me. Like, because, you know, that I, I'm sure that 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 guy that I did my first hunt with uh, to be unnamed is probably <laughs> thinks that uh, that Mikhail is a dick because he, you know, yeah, we had one sheep and it was miles to pack out and we should have, you know, just just packed one sheep out. But instead, uh, he had to carry his own and I carried mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So maybe, maybe he has a horror story too, but you know, it's all, I guess it's all relative and yeah, perspective. those are, those <laughs> things are going to happen. Um, but as long if you have the, if you go into it really with, uh, being as open and honest as you possibly can to whether it's your physical ability or what the goals that you want to achieve, um, what you want to get out of the hunt, whether it's, you know, you want to have a relaxing time because your, your work is just stressing you out and you just want to sit on the side of a hill and have an afternoon nap and do some glassing and maybe you get something maybe you don't um as as long as your communication is open and honest then you're going to find the you know there are 
things that, that do happen where somebody isn't. But if you start there, then everybody comes in under the same premise and knows what you're going to, you're going to contribute to the hunt, then nobody can complain. Yep. It's, it's when, it's when you say you're going to do something or somebody says that they're going to do something. And then when things get hard, they don't do that. That's where the, where the problems lie. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's all too common in the, in the mountain hunting environment. Yeah, that's, like you said, there's no, there's no, uh, the mountain, like I said, doesn't give a shit about you or anything else. So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. you know, got to have the same goals. But so lastly on your aspects, like as far as your key aspects with being a successful mountain hunter, you have do the work. So kind of explain, you know, that, I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but I, I kind of want to hear your thought process on this. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's just kind of become almost, you know, kind of our, our motto because really what it takes to be successful and it doesn't matter whether it's hunting, whether it's being a great husband, whether it's being a great father, whether it's being good at your job or it, it doesn't really matter. It's all the same principle. It's, you have to put in the effort that it takes to make yourself better. And when it comes to specifically hunting, like you have to work hard to be a good hunter. Any of those whitetail hunters that are, are really good now, and this is completely out of my world now, but I do, you know, I have a, I have an idea whether it's, you know, guys that are planting crops, guys that will sit in a, in a tree stand, guys that'll, you know, do the scouting. Like these guys are, gals are doing the work that it takes to kill big whitetail um, or it doesn't have to be big whitetail just, but typically when you're willing to do the work that it takes, then you're probably also after, you know, a big representation. Yeah. So for me, it's just in, in my hunting world is I have to do the everything to the best that I can do it. And that, starts at 4:30 in the morning and the proper nutrition, the proper physical activity, the proper scouting, the flying the airplanes, the just all of the things that it takes to be better than everybody else. And I'm not saying that I'm better than everybody else. I'm just saying that that is my goal and I am striving to be better than I was yesterday, every day. And if you can just be a little bit better every day, then a year from now, you'll look back and go, holy crap, look where I've come in a year. And a year is nothing. Like literally, we can live to be 100 if you take care of your body. Like one year of hard work will change your reality forever because you will never go back. When you feel the vitality of health and of just positivity and surround yourself with those kind of people, because it takes work to become a person that is positive, that is, you know, physically capable, that is a good husband, that this, it takes hard, hard work to do these things. But once you start to tick 
a little box every day, you become that person and your whole life just changes. And you, before you know it, you're just living in a place that you are so happy for and that you think every day is a good day, no matter what's happening. Yeah. And, and one thing that you said there, that's, that, uh, definitely, I think, um, will really sink in with a lot of listeners. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's whitetail hunting, you know, in the East or if it's mountain hunting in the Yukon or, or where it's at, you know, that the same thing applies. And I, I've learned that from my dad who is a way better, you know, hunter than I am and, and successful every single year when it comes to whitetails or turkeys or whatever it is. And I've just learned he's always putting in the work, you know, to do yeah. that and just consistent, you know, just consistently preparation, you know, uh, you know, you know, it's a 365 thing and it's, it's definitely something that that's where you see the, the differences between those that get lucky here and there and the ones that create their own luck. That's right. That abs- absolutely. There are guys that are going to get lucky. It's just, it's just the reality, but what I call it, you know, it's, it's the lottery mentality. If you believe that you're going to win the lottery and you're going to be re- able to retire because you're going to win the lottery, then you've already lost. Like you, you have lost because the odds of winning the lottery are so slim. And if that's the kind of attitude that you have, that you don't want to do the hard work that it takes to become like a millionaire or a multimillionaire, you want to win the 30 million lotto. So you go and buy a $1 ticket and think that that's going to be the ticket. That's going to be your key to success. Then you've lost like, uh, I, I, I know that people are going to go, well, I buy lottery tickets. I, I just, <laughs> I just mean that that is not the way to success. You true success doesn't come in the form of somebody handing it to you. True success comes in the form of working hard to achieve something that you can look back on in the future and say, I did what it took to make that happen. You know, I did the hard work that it took to become a really good father. I did the hard work that it took to salvage my relationship with my wife because it's hard. But when you do the hard work and you look back on life, if it was handed to you, you will definitely not have the same level of satisfaction when it's all over. Yeah. And, and Greg, like, so just for your reference, so, you know, you and I had had never met each other or talked or anything on the the background, but I am going into my fourth year of hunting elk this year. I've spent over 30 days hunting elk and I have not filled a tag. And it's one of those things that just keeps every, every single time I get closer, I've had them in range. I've had them, you know, I've just screwed it up. But it's one of those things that just drives you to keep doing it more. And when that moment comes, which will be this year, by the way, (laughs) when it does happen, you know, it's going to be so fulfilling and just 
feel absolutely like you're on cloud nine. Like it's just, yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff where it you know, takes the, the work to put in and you're not just successful. You know, I'll, if, if um, elk wants to come out on the first day and, and I shoot it, that's fine. But you know, it's, really? it's, it's super, it's just so fulfilling and feel so much better when you put in all that work towards it. You know, let me ask you a question. Yeah. What, are you going to, what have you identified that you are going to change this year from previous years that is going to add to your success? So the, the there's a couple components to that. The one is, I, I don't think I was in, you know, bad physical conditioning. I did, you know, I, I did fairly well with that standpoint, but I'm really focused on it more than I ever was as far as every morning, you know, when you said 4.30, that's when my alarm clock goes off. And actually this morning I went on a hike. I got up at 3.15 to get it done before work. And so that's the first thing is really just making sure my body's prepared for it. And secondly, it comes down to calling. Calling was one thing that I, you know, could do and that's how I based my whole hunt. I wanted to call in a bugling bull. I mean, it's the, the dream, but I wasn't, I didn't prepare myself enough to become an excellent elk caller. And so that's another aspect of it. That's, you know, huge to me. And, and then thirdly, you know, it comes down to the, the elk knowledge. So learning the animal, how they're doing that and just making sure that I'm doing the homework with, with learning everything about it and about the, the species. And, you know, I've, I've, like I said, I've gotten really close, but I've also been to the point where, when my plan, you know, wasn't working out where I thought they were going to be, I felt like I was stuck and I, and, you know, I was walking around aimlessly almost. And that's, that's another aspect. And I guess there's actually one more too, is my shooting. So, I, I didn't miss an elk or anything, but I feel like there there was an opportunity that I had at a little bit of a longer distance bow shot last year that I didn't feel comfortable taking, and but it was well within what my equipment was capable of. So this year, you know, I identified a problem that I had with target panic and started from ground zero and really disciplining myself with starting from the ground and, you know, mentally preparing, cause it's, it's a hundred percent mental thing that, that target panic is created on and going through reading books and, and talking to the right people and, and just going through the exercises and staying disciplined with it. I mean, I was at the total archery challenge, which is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but a huge event that I go to every year. And I had a booth there and I didn't shoot one arrow at the course because it wasn't a part of the the plan that I have. I know that would set me back by having that instant gratification of being able to shoot at these long ranges that I'm not ready for. And so really this entire, you know, year working towards becoming as absolutely lethal as possible when your adrenaline's high and everything's, you know, when shit hits the fan that you're able to stay mentally on top of it and execute that perfect arrow. So those are the, those are the things I've identified as the main ones. There's a bunch of little ones I'm working on, but those are the main things that, that I think, 
you know, cause I I've been able to find the elk and I'm going to a new area. So that could be completely different, but still it's just putting in that preparation work to do that. I, and I found that, you know, last year I went to the same area that I did the previous year and I got really laxed on my scouting because I just felt like, Oh, the elk were here before they're going to be there again. And they weren't. And I had to switch to a whole nother unit and a whole nother mountain range to, to get into them and being able to adapt and just look at that a little bit better and not getting relaxed with the preparation standpoint. Those are my main goals. Yeah. I think that sounds like the one thing that I take from that is that you've, you've, um, you're showing probably a level of dedication that, that you hadn't in the past and you kind of identified that if you want to be successful, that you're going to have to do that. Uh, and that's, that's awesome. Like you're, it sounds to me like you've, you're identifying the places that you're, that you're lacking and you're moving forward to correct those. And that's how you're going to be successful. Yeah. Like, like you said, this, this year, it's, it, this is the year hundred percent success rate. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you send me the picture when you get it done. I, I will. And it, it's funny last year, Greg, I, I did, um, actually carried my equipment with my podcast stuff. It's pretty small and recorded a podcast at the end of every day to kind of get the emotions and how everything was going through. And at the end of every, and I released them, uh, daily when I got back and, I, I, every day at the end of the night, I'd say, cause my dad hunted the first seven days with me and I'd be like, you know, tomorrow's the day, a hundred percent success rate. And that's the, the kind of joke, you know, right how I, I'm overconfident with things, but in reality, it's just the mindset of trying, you know, trying to, to create your own luck with it. But the, like I said, this year, um, I'm putting in the work to hopefully, you know, come back with that and and like i said changed up some things and going to a new state new area train i've never been in but it's i'm still just as confident if not more in in that and in reality too you know the the groundwork of the the scouting that that i've already done with it and researching units and talking to biologists and using the state's websites and other places to be able to learn about it. Cause if, when I looked back at it, the unit, I'm not going to give the exact success rate <laughs> so people don't look it up, but it was, you know, anywhere in the, the five to 8% success rate area. And, and one of the ones I'm looking at now is closer to 20. You know, I'm not right. saying that that is going to dictate anything because if, if uh, an area has an allotted amount of tags, there's obviously animals there. But at the same time, that's just increasing my odds a little bit. Yeah. So you're putting you're putting the odds more in your favor than they were before. That just that just makes good sense to me. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. So that's what I'm trying to do to uh, become more successful this year. Uh, good for you, man. Good. Cool. Well, Greg, is there anything else that you want to cover or leave the listeners with as like kind of some final thoughts? Um, you know, not, not particularly anything that, uh, final thoughts is just, um, it's more just take a, take a, I like to ask people to just self check and take a look at, look at life and really what is it that you want to achieve and 
really search yourself to figure that out because we only have one life. Like, and yes, it seems like it's long, but you ask anybody in their 80s or 90s and they'll tell you it goes like a, in the, within a blink of an eye and it's gone. So if you're not happy, just make the decision to make the change and just go after it and live, live life on your terms. And I think that when you do that and you're a good person, um, I think that your life is just really, really fulfilling. And I know there's a lot of people out there right now that aren't looking every day at the cup being half full. Um, but it's, it's all within our own, within our own grasp. And we just have to, just have to work at it because nobody's going to hand it to us. So I'm don't, not trying to be, to be preachy, but I just know that, you know, there's a lot of unhappy people. And I think that if we can, you know, if we can just change one day at a time before you know it, um, life is really, really good. Yeah. And actually I'm glad you, you said that. I mean, it goes into, like I said, life in general, whether that's hunting or anything else, you know, I've identified areas outside of hunting in my life that, you know, I need to improve and improve, you know, not just always 110% focus on hunting and, you know, those type of things are extremely important too. And I think what you said there just correlates to all of those. Thanks. But so I guess uh, I'd like to hear where everyone can find some more information and where they can find the show. You said on the Sportsman channel here, but let's any place that people can find more information on you, your show, and anything else that you want to kind of give some links to. Yeah, sure. Well, everything is um, Greg McHale's Wild Yukon, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. So those are the the main social platforms that we're on. Um, and then if you have access to, uh, to the television, then you've got and you have uh, the Sportsman Channel or Sportsman Canada. That's where our main product is is living as far as the this television series goes. Um, that's you know if you right now we're actually working on um, digital getting our the television series out on digital we haven't found uh, a place necessarily for it um but you know we're in the process of figuring that out so when that comes out then we'll let we'll let everybody know on their social platforms for sure all right greg well i just want to say first of all thank you so much for uh coming on here and talking with me and helping you know share some of your information over the last you know 20 years of mountain hunting that's that's absolutely amazing and and really appreciate it i mean that the whole goal of this is to be able to share as much information and and with me not being even close to you know someone competent to speak on a lot of these things that's why i bring on guests that can so yeah no i think that that's uh thank you very much for having me and i really appreciate the opportunity and i think you're just definitely doing we're kind of trying to do the same thing and it's just to provide value to to people who are out there that are trying to trying to educate themselves and um 
yeah, anytime that I can, I can do that. And it certainly seems like you're doing the exact same thing. So we're pushing on the same door. So thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Greg, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.